Recently, I had the privilege of hearing someone that, uh, in a sense, was very unexpected for me. I found out through other pastors here in our community and through our ministerial association that we had a special guest coming to our community. Her name was Dr. Edith Eager. And I found out she's 92 years old, and she, uh, at the age of 16, her and her family were taken. She grew up in Hungary, and they were incarcerated, if you can call it that. They were taken to Auschwitz. So can you imagine at the age of 16 years being taken away from everything you've known to be safe, to be secure? She even talks about the fact that growing up is a very normal life until that day. Suddenly, they found their world completely disrupted. Everything was going so well, and everything seemed great. And then, in a matter of days, they are in one of the most horrific hell holes that's ever been on the planet Earth, Auschwitz. So at 16, she's in Auschwitz, and they quickly separate her from her family and her brother. And, and she finds out through someone else that her father actually had already been killed very early on. And she said that, Going through that experience, she learned some things very quickly, how to survive. One of the things she noticed, and as she gave this address to us, I was sitting just stunned most of the time. But one of the things she said was that the people that thrived in that environment and the people that survived in that environment with their sanity intact, their faith intact, their humanity intact, were the ones that actually gave away the extra pieces of bread they got or the little extra things. They were the ones who were the givers among the group, the ones who helped others and made sure others were actually served before them. And the ones that lived sacrificially were the ones who made it. They were the ones who lasted. They were the ones who endured. And she said the ones that were in it for themselves, the ones that would try to hoard and keep and hold and hide things, they were actually the first to go, to be taken out, to die, to not survive, to not make it. She said that experience was just mind-boggling. If you can imagine that every time you step into the shower, you didn't know what was going to come out of the shower head. It was either going to be water, cold water, or it was going to be gas that killed you. Can you imagine stepping into your shower every morning and just saying, this is, this is a roulette moment right here. I don't even know what's going to happen. And she was in an environment for months and months and months with no apparent hope. She said she quickly found herself praying for her captors, praying for those who were running the areas, praying for those who were over their particular uh, house where they were, if you can call it that, and in that camp, there were brutal and demonic people. And she said she found herself praying for them. Somehow in her up... Grace to forgive. By the way, she is a follower of Jesus. And she said she leaned into her faith. She leaned into that moment, and she knew that the answer was forgiveness. The answer was to bless and not curse. Of 
before she came out of that, she wrote a book called The Choice. There's another book coming out called The Gift in November. And in that book, it's lessons I learned from Auschwitz. And one of the lessons she learned and one of the things that spoke to me is I, I didn't take anything to take notes. I had my phone. I was wearing my thumbs. I was going as fast as I could to take notes because I wanted to capture every word because I was stunned about what she was presenting. And she shared this. You can see it on the screen. She says, in everything, for the gift, no matter how difficult or hard. And she just said, find the gift. Find the gift. You know, over the last couple of weeks as this thing has rolled out, and it's no secret to anyone that we're in a global crisis right now. And as this thing began to happen, as much like you, we were watching the news, hearing reports, getting information, the president was making addresses, our local community was putting out information, we were watching our governor here in Texas on giving out information and bringing all these boundaries and orders down and suddenly you find yourself saying, what is happening here? What is going on here? And immediately as all of that began to happen, before I even had a chance to be nervous, before I had a chance to be afraid, before I had a chance to engage anxiety, these words came to my mind. You can see it on the screen. Look for the gift in everything, no matter how difficult or hard moment in time. This historic moment in time. And someday when this is all a memory, and it will be, we'll look back and we'll say, did we find the treasure in it? Did we find the gift? Did it make us bitter or did it make us better people? I have to tell you something, that in Christ, in Jesus, you have the capacity, the capacity grace me in God's power, power, the word, God's strength, God's ability, God's authority, and God's favor to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. You have received grace to persevere, grace to overcome, grace to thrive when maybe some of those around you are just finding themselves trying to survive. You've been given that grace in Jesus Christ. It's interesting because when we planned the series we're doing, and the series is called Hallelujah Anyway. When we planned this series and when I began putting it together, back when we were doing a planning session, I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to do that maybe in the summer. I had this idea, Hallelujah Anyway, Talking, going through the book of Philippians and teaching people to persevere. We had no idea this was coming. And then there was another series on my mind that I felt like I'd gotten a title for as I was praying called Killing Babylon. And that's dealing with cultural issues and things that are relevant to us right now and, and, and kind of outing the elephants in the room, so to speak. And I was going to do that, and yet I could not get peace about it. We even planned it even had it on the calendar, and I just I kept wrestling with it. And so I felt like I needed to move this. And who knew? Well, I know who knew. We didn't know that we would need to hear a simple message that in the middle, no matter what is going on, you can raise up a hallelujah in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the mystery, in the middle of when things are not working out, we can raise up a hallelujah. The word hallelujah is an interesting word. It literally means a shout of praise, joy, or thanksgiving. And it means praise God. So when you shout hallelujah, you're praising God. 
or praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. And interesting enough, it's in this book to the believers in a little outpost called Philippi, a new church that had been planted on Paul's third missionary journey. And when he wanted to go up north to a place called Bithynia and preach the gospel, the Bible says the Holy Spirit him in his tracks. And he slept on it, and in the night he had a vision, and it's been called the Macedonian. He saw somebody standing in that vision bay where he was on another shore, which is actually the very southernmost part of Europe. And while he's seeing this vision and a man standing across the bay in Europe saying this, come over here and help us, come over here and help us. And immediately he discerned that was the Lord calling them to go over to that place. So instead of going north to Bithynia, they crossed over and they planted this little church with a group of believers in Philippi. And that's how this got started. Now, the letter that we're reading, by the way, is called a prison epistle. It's a letter, a prison, a letter from prison. Paul wrote several of these and several of the, of the accounts, what we call the epistles or letters in the New Testament are actually written from a prison cell. This is one of those letters. And from that prison cell, while he's incarcerated in Rome, not knowing what was about to happen, not knowing if someone was going to walk in the next day and say, your time is up, you're done, off with your head, not knowing what was going to happen, he penned these words to the Philippian believers. And what is so remarkable, when you think about it in these terms, if these were the last words he was writing, and he was conscious of that, this could be the last thing I say. This could be the last thing I write. Do you think that there may be some gravity to those words? If you've ever Memoirs read something that writes towards the end of their life, and typically it's things they wish they would have said when they were younger. That's what a memoir is. They're reflecting back. They're telling their story, but they're all saying, also saying, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I want it to mean something. This is what I've learned. This is my experience has produced this. Paul writes this letter to the Philippian believers, and it's a letter of joy. It's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of praise. Four short chapters, not a long book, not a long letter, but in it, the word joy or rejoice is mentioned 16 different times. Paul emphasizes joy. Now, interesting enough, as he emphasizes the joy of the Lord, which we know from the book of Galatians in chapter 5, that joy is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit, a fruit, a product, something that is produced. That's what fruit is. It's produce. Something that is produced by the Spirit. In other words, it's not a joy that you and I can just stir up on our own. We can't just create joy. We can't just get happy. Have you ever had somebody say, get over it and get happy? Get over it. You're fine. Get happy. You need to be happy about something. You're like, I'm trying. Nothing's working here. It's because true joy, authentic joy, doesn't come from within. It's something that is produced by the Spirit of God. Now, that can be within. He can produce it within you, but it's not what you produce. Again, it's the picture of grace. The ability to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. So the grace of God releases the Spirit of God, which gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the nine fruit or products of the Spirit. And joy is one such thing. And in the midst of all this, Paul is saying, I want you to embrace the joy. And out of that joy, I want you to rejoice. That means to celebrate the goodness of God within that context. Listen to what Paul says. Now, this is picking up the last two verses of where we were last week. And then we're going to tag right onto that. Look at this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. I used to say, say it in my version, the KJZ, King Jimmy version. Don't worry about anything. Don't sweat the small stuff. He says this, be anxious for nothing. And by the way, this is an option. This is called an imperative. It's not a question. It's not a suggestion. It's actually a be anxious for nothing. But in everything... Everything. You mean, you mean when the economy is in peril? You mean when our peace is in peril? You mean when our safety is in You mean when things aren't working out right? When things aren't going great? When I'm not sure where I'm going to get my next roll of toilet paper? You're saying that's an everything moment? Absolutely. He says this. In everything by these things. Prayer, supplication. That means to put before. Prayer and supplication like a petition. With thanksgiving, gratitude. Let your requests be made known to God. Notice these things come before gratitude before the request. You know what my gratitude is when I pray that before the request? It's, Father, I thank you that you hear me. Father, I thank you that you're going to answer this prayer. And I'm not saying you're going to answer it in the way I want you to. You're going to answer it. And however you answer it, I'm going to be good with that because I trust you and you're good. And so I thank you and I praise you in advance for the answer that's coming. However that comes. What I ask for in a package I don't necessarily want or like. So he says, let your request be made known to God. And the promise that's on that and a part of that and attached to that is this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That means there's a peace that goes above. It's above and beyond. It supersedes above and beyond. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That means sets up a garrison. He will protect your heart. And he will protect your mind. We're in a day right now where people's hearts are failing. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about people losing heart. And it kind of goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. They're kind of losing their minds too. It's a scary time. And when times of uncertainty come, especially when things have been going pretty well, and then all of a sudden a virus interrupts our life, interrupts the global scene, interrupts everyone's life on the planet, it's easy to lose heart and it's easy to lose our minds in the midst of it. He says this, that his peace will guard our heart, garrison our heart and our minds. Now, the next thing he says, he doesn't really take a breath here. He just keeps going and he says this, on the heels of this peace, here's what we should do. And he actually sums it up by saying, finally. In other words, this is the end of what I'm saying and this is how I'm going to wrap it up. So he bookends his statements about being anxious for nothing, about rejoicing in everything, about putting your request before God 
and allowing the peace of God to work. He bookends it with this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, notice what he says, think about such things. Some translations use the word meditate on these things. Meditate, think. The word meditate simply means to mull over. And actually the picture of it in the, in the language is like a cow chewing its cud. I know that's kind of gross. But it's, it's that just keeping it in. Not actually just keeping it there. Keeping it there. Holding it there. And that's what it literally means. The word meditate means to hold it there. Hold it in your mind. Hold it in your thoughts. He says, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to meditate on. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor Jimmy. You don't know my situation. Oh, yeah. We're all in this together, family. We're all in this thing together. And in everything, remember, that is the caveat to all of this. That's the canopy over this. That's the qualifier in everything and every time. Think about what is true. Think about what is noble. Think about what is right. Think about what is lovely. Think about what is admirable. Think about anything and everything that's excellent or praiseworthy. Keep your minds on these things. If there's ever a time where we need to think on these things, it is literally right now. And my prayer for you, as you're listening, my prayer for you is, Lord Jesus, give us all the grace to keep our mind fixed on the things that are good, noble, right, pure and lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Give us the grace to keep our minds stayed on your goodness. You're excellent. You're praiseworthy. So we keep our minds stayed on you. Listen to this. I'm changing color on the slides just for emphasis because we're going out of the text of Philippians. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 1.7. I quoted this earlier. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Given us And of love and of a sound mind. That word sound mind, that phrase means the ability to think well. That means when everybody else is losing their ever-loving mind, you're calm. You're the calm one in the room because you've been given that ability. You've been given the spirit of that, the ability, his presence, to actually be a carrier and a dispute. You can be the calm one in the room or in the store or however we want to say it. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3, and we're talking about mind. We're talking about the things we think about. We need to think about what we're thinking about. Because what you think about matters. What you meditate on matters. What you ponder, what you keep before you matters. Why? Because we become what be, we behold. As the head goes, so goes the body. As we think, so we are. Listen to this, Colossians 3. Paul, again, in another epistle, says, Set your minds... On things above, not on earthly things. I want to say this again and emphasis, emphasize this. This is an imperative. That means this is a command, not an option. For you died. He tells you why you can do that. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When is our life hidden with Christ? When we die and cross over into Beulah land? When we cross over the river Jordan? When we sing, you know, swing low, sweet chariot up in the heavens? No, it's right now. It's right here. It's in this present moment where we are literally hidden with Christ in God. Christ in me, the hope of glory, but me hidden in Christ. Galatians 2.20 we read, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. Notice that. We're in him and he is in us. It's what we did when we talked about communion. That's union with Christ. And it's in that union, it's in that place that we can literally set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. Notice my little title up there, Set Your Mind on the Things of the Kingdom. If our globe goes into an economic recession, the kingdom never stops. And no matter what has been canceled or postponed in your life, because there's a lot of cancellations happening right now, no matter what, let me tell you something, the kingdom will never be canceled. The work of the kingdom will never be postponed. The earth will continue spinning until God wills it not. Life will happen. The sun will come up. The sun will go down. Life will continue on the spinning ball. The kingdom will never be canceled or postponed. When Christ, who is your life, so there's a question for you. Is Christ your life? If you're listening online, I want to ask you an honest question. Is Christ your life or is Christ a life? Is Christ the life or is Christ an add-on, an addendum that when times get tough and situations arise, we find ourselves crying out, but what about on the good days? What about when it's going well? What about when things are okay? See, if Christ is your life, beloved, then Christ preoccupies all of your brain space all the time. You can't stop thinking about him. You go to bed praying. You wake up in the middle of the night praying. You dream. You wake up in the morning saying, God, thank you for a new day. What are we going to do? What have we, what have we got? What adventure is going to roll out today? What encounter is going to happen today? See, when he is your life, not just a life, but when he's the life, And you see everything in this pl on this planet through the grid of the gospel, the grid of the good news, the grid of Jesus. It's called a biblical worldview. And when that happens, when the world loses its mind temporarily, because your eyes are set on things above, not on things on this earth, You've cast your lot in Christ. You're seated in him in heavenly places. Not here on earth. We walk here. We traffic here for a short time, really, at the end of the day. Historically speaking, we're only here for a short time. A blink and it's over. The scripture even says your life is a vapor or a mist and it's gone. But when your mind is set on things above, you're already there. You're already with him in eternity. Your mentality is already there. So when things happen like this, you see them through that filter, through that grid, through those lens. And they shape and define and form everything before you. That's why fear is not an option. 
Fear is not something we embrace. But faith is. And our response to this is faith. Listen to this. Here's another one. Out of Romans chapter 8. It says this in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh. That means the stuff here. and Our own existence in this moment. For those who live according to the flesh. Here's what they do. They fix or set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit. Look what they do. They set their minds, fix their minds. That means to dwell on. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh, here it is, it's death. That's a, that's a very direct way of saying and rephrasing our question around here that we ask a lot is, and it's this, how is that working for you? Because if we're living our existence only here, our feet are squarely on the ground we're so earthly minded we're no heavenly good if that's our existence and we're just trying to eke out a living and make it then what happens is is that ends in death because you are not designed to make it on your own you're created and designed to be in union with him but also in relationship with one another you can't do it on your own no man is an island period no one is for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now I want to go back to our focus verse, Philippians 4.8. Remember, finally, brothers, finally, family, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. A number of years ago, I had a shift in my thinking. Believe it or not, there was a day in my life when I was not the most positive guy in the room. That's hard to believe because I tend to be. And there was a day when I didn't always see the glass half full. I actually saw it half empty. I was in high school. I had a horrific temper. I played sports growing up. I, I was the guy who broke my tennis racket because I didn't win a match. I remember one time I launched it over the fence as far as I could throw it, landed out in the middle of our track, which was next to the tennis court. And my brother was like, really? I mean, it, I was that guy. I was the angry guy on the football field that would throw the extra punch on the pile. I was an angry young man, bitter young man hurt young man and I was a young man without Jesus I had not stepped over the line I had not given my life to Jesus in fact it was the awareness that things are not working that actually began to shift my thinking and I remember laying in my bed as a young man in a drunken stupor I've been driving racing my car drinking with my buddies, back home, bed spinning, room spinning, and I'm laying there. And by the way, that was an old school water bed. That didn't help things, to be honest. It was like sleeping on a moving boat in a storm. And I remember laying on that old water bed and just the room, it was just terrible. And I remember crying out to God, 
night after night after night saying, Lord, what is going on with me? Why do I do this? And I didn't even, I'd never even stepped over the line to become a follower of Jesus, but I knew in, something in me cried out to him. Deep was calling out to deep. Even before I knew him, I was crying out to him saying, I don't like this. I don't like who I am. I don't even like what I'm doing. I need help. I need help. Toward the end of my senior year, help came in the form of a youth minister who shared the gospel with me. I wasn't in church. This was over the hood of my pickup way out in the country in West Texas. And he shared Jesus with me. And it wasn't working for me. If someone was to say, hey, how's that working for you? I'd say, it's not. I'm miserable. And that night I stepped over the line. I prayed a simple prayer. A prayer that sounded a little bit like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've missed it. I need your help. I don't know what give you my life. Give it to you. Lord, would you save me? It was something really simple like that. And all I can say is that it is like somebody took shears and cut the straps of a backpack I had that was full of lead that was just taking me down. And it was as though someone cut those straps at the same time and all that weight fell off of me. Something shifted. Not just mindset changed. Scripture says that we are to be transformed. That means changed. By one translation says the renewing of your mind in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. In the New Living Translation it says that we're to be changed. We're to be transformed by changing the way you think. Here's the truth. You can't change the way you think only God by his spirit can change the human heart and the human mind so I'm going to invite you to do something while you're there sitting in your PJs whatever you're doing if you're watching this right now a couple of things I want to remind you of first of all what Evelyn looks at the gift in everything this season we're in there's a gift this time we're in there's a gift. Some people call it the silver lining in the cloud. Whatever you call it, when she spoke that over us, look for the gift in anything. And this is a person who at 16 was in Auschwitz. I believe what she said. So I'm encouraging you, look for the gift in everything. There's treasure in all of this that's going on around us right now, if we will but open our eyes. But here's the thing. You need help to do that. Second thing I want to ask you to do is to open your heart to a fresh new start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. A new start, a new beginning. Would you, go ahead Russ, come on up. Would you in this moment right now simply pray with me right where you're sitting. It's a play right where you're watching. Not in Even if this is I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I'm going to actually lead you in the simple prayer that I prayed when I was literally leaning over the hood of my pickup on a warm May night out in West Texas. So right where you are, you don't have to bow your head and close your eyes, but I'm going to. 
I'm going to invite you to pray these words with me right where you are. Let's begin the first day of the rest of your life right now. And it's going to give you the grace, the capacity, and the empowerment to have a new category for your entire life. And that is a category of faith that is able to trust God in the darkest days. Able to trust and believe that He loves you. He's for you. So I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer with me right now. Very simply, right where you are. All you have to say, simple, but make it your own. Lord Jesus, I read you are both God and Savior. That you came to this earth to redeem my relationship with God the Father. To bring me back to God. Jesus, I confess to you. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. And I need help. Would you forgive me of not just my sins, but my sin? Would you take my sin upon you? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you place in me a brand new heart? And would you take out the old and pour in the new into my life? Jesus, I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I want to be a follower. I want to know you. I want to know your word, the Bible. I want to learn how to navigate this world with you not alone so I give you my past I give you my present I give you my future thank you for saving me I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and the Lord of my life Holy Spirit would you fill me right here right now with all that you are all your gifts all your abilities your very presence in me and through me thank you for saving me thank you for forgiving me thank you for loving me and thank you for giving me purpose I give you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. If that's you, and you did that today for the first time, or maybe today was coming back to him after not being with him for a good while, I want to invite you to do something. Would you just email us? Just You can go to our website, bridgefbg. Dot com and there's there's the ability to contact us there or if you're on Facebook you can actually write us through private messages through the website there through Facebook private message would you send us a message saying I did that today I prayed that prayer with you Jimmy and and I I'm ready to, for a new start would you do that and if you'll do that I, I want to write back to you and encourage you because because there's some things I think will help you get started on your on your on your road to 
walk with Jesus. I want to help you with that. So do do that. Also, keep an eye out on our Facebook page. Jason and I did a little video the other day. I encourage you to scroll down a little bit. Watch that video. About 25 minutes of us just talking about what's going on. We're going to do some more this week. And, and just have some conversations about prayer and about what are some tools, what are some things we need in the midst of this season. So we just want to stay in front of you with that and encourage you. That's our heart is to encourage you. And I want to say something. We're better together. We're in this together, and we're better together. So the last thing I want to say is it's super simple. It's so simple it almost sounds silly, but maybe it doesn't today. But let's be kind. Let's exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and then, yeah, self-control, even in the midst of this. So I want to encourage you, be kind. And again, something that's been on my heart, check on your neighbors. Check on the folks that are around you. Make sure everybody's okay. If you're a connect group leader with our church, I want to ask you to do something. Would you reach out to all the people in your connect group, whether it's text or email, however you do it, calling, whatever. Would you reach out to them? Just check on everybody. Let's check on each other in this time. And let's be there for each other in this time. Let's hold up one another in this time. We're better together. Be kind. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we honor you and love you. Thank you for your word that gives us grace and tells us, think on these things, meditate on these. We want to lean in with a right heart, a right spirit, a right mind. Thank you that you help us to change the way we think. So would you do that for us? For those today who pray to receive Jesus, Father, we celebrate with them and we're so proud of them. We hold them up. For others today who are finding themselves in that place of anxiety, maybe even overwhelmed, Father, we hold them up as well. We hold them up. We hold their arms up. We speak life into them. That you're good and, Lord, you're for them. So we hold them up. Father, we do pray for our nation and even the globe, the world right now. We stand together with millions of followers of Christ across the globe, even now, right now, this very moment. We say, Lord Jesus, we need your help. Lord Jesus, we need you to right the ship. Lord Jesus, we're asking that your glory would indeed cover the earth. We trust that you are, and we look for you in the midst of all this. Talk about the gift. We look for the gift of Jesus in the middle of all this. And Father, I'm asking as a favor, would you use this moment in time, would you leverage this historical moment for revival and spiritual awakening across the globe in the name of Jesus. I lean into that, Lord. I trust you in it. I intercede in that spirit. Love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, we're landing the plane. We love you. Feel free to reach out to us again through Facebook, through our website. We're here for you. We're standing with you. God bless you. Have an amazing week.